I never have a problem knowing what my daughter is feeling. Uh, she's two years old. Her name is Laurel. Her cousins call her Lolo. Um, and at home, we say that there are high highs and there are low lows. <laughs> and whether uh, it's her grabbing her two blankets up, shaking with excitement and saying, I love my blankets! Or, you know, absolutely devastated and losing it because the juice is gone. I have no problem knowing what my daughter is feeling and the emotions that are going through her tiny little body, right? But I also serve uh, with students. And somewhere along the line, from two years old into middle school and high school, we find a way and we get pretty, pretty good at hiding the way that we feel, right? We get really good at masking not just the highs, but the lows as well. And I think some of this is healthy maturity, right? If I had a middle schooler running around saying, I love my blankie, we'd have, we'd have uh, some conversations to have. But there is, I think, some uh, unhealthy repression that we learn along the way as well. And over the last couple weeks in our series here, we have been looking at Christian maturity. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to not stay stagnant in our spiritual growth, but to continue to grow and mature into Christ-likeness. We've looked at a number of different things, how we engage in the public sphere to how we are generous with our time and treasure and talents, and God desires us to grow. Today, we're going to look at um, another aspect of Christian maturity, that is gratitude. We're going to look at gratitude this morning. And out of our passage, Psalm 69, if you want to join me there, today we are going to see from God's word that God is magnified by our gratitude. That God is magnified by our gratitude. And I think one question that we're really going to uh, dig into and look at this morning we're going to try to answer is, how do I know in my own life, in my personal walk, how do I know if what I have is real gratitude or if I am just putting a smile on my face? How do I know if I have real gratitude or whether I'm just putting a smile on my face? But Psalm 69 um, is an interesting passage. We're not going to work through the whole thing. We're going to focus on four verses specifically. Psalm 69 verses 30 to 33. I'm going to read these for us. This is the word of God to us this morning. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. And right away in verse 30, we have uh, our kind of topic for the morning, this idea of gratitude, this idea of thanksgiving. I will praise the name of God with a song, and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And before we kind of get into uh, how we are able to magnify, whether or not we are just putting a smile on our face this morning, I want to um, look a little bit deeper at this Psalm. It's, it's attributed to David. King David most likely wrote this song. 
and if you read through the whole thing, we're not going to, but I can summarize it for us here. Uh, David is struggling. He is going through it in this moment, and he is uh, desperately crying out to God to save him, uh, not from something general, but from something pretty specific, and I think something that we all deal with at some point in our life. He is asking God, he is waiting on God to do something about people who are lying about him. So David has uh, people in his life who are slandering him, who are lying about him. In the first 29 verses of this psalm, David lays out his problem. And there are a bunch of people in his circles from, it says, from the very poor to the very influential, who are lying about things that he has done. And one interesting thing in this psalm is we see that David is not playing the victim in this passage. David knows that he's got his own stuff. He looks inward and he says, you know what, God, I'm not perfect, but here's what I'm really, really struggling with. And he's struggling with two things. And the first is this. He looks out at the people who are slandering him and he says, God, I'm really frustrated because I feel like the response that people are giving does not match what I was what people are claiming that I did, right? The, the sentence isn't matching the crime here, God. Can you do something about this? And then more than that, David goes on and he, he writes, you know what I'm most frustrated about God is that I didn't even do the things that they're, they're lying about. Like, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even do these things. I'm so frustrated, God. Can you please do something about this? And so David doesn't wallow in self-pity. He doesn't play the victim here. He reminds himself about God's character, and he asks God to save him from this gossiping, backbiting, slanderous people. David has relational problems, right? He's got relational issues, and this is a universal human problem that we all face. But I think that this psalm is most interesting because while the first kind of 28 or 29 verses of it are attributed to David, the last few verses were not written by David. And they take what David is laying out in, his, in these first 28, 29 verses, and it applies them to a situation that the nation of Israel was facing while they were in exile. Now, why is this interesting? Well, Israel was captured by these two nations, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, well after David had died. So, so what's happened here with this psalm is that some Israelites in some land way far away from Jerusalem remembered this psalm, were singing this song, clung on to it as a means of hope, and then added these last six verses. So they took David's situation and they applied it to their own situation. They were finding frustration and desperation, but they were also looking at confidence in God, and they were applying all of this to their current problem. And so someone finishes this psalm out as it talks about uh, people being prisoners and, and cities in Judah being rebuilt. And this is what I love about the psalms, right? David and the Israelites in exile, they, they don't hesitate to express their deep frustration to God. They know that God has promised things of them and things to them. They know that God is active in their life, but the issue is that their situation isn't matching up to what God has promised, and that's frustrating. 
And this is what I love, that, that we have space to be frustrated with the results of sin in our life. We have space to be angry with a fallen world, and we have space to be sad when we believe what should be happening isn't. And as we look at gratitude and Christian maturity this morning, the first thing that we find is that gratitude starts with an honest look. That gratitude starts with an honest look. Again, in verse 30, it says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. The previous 29 verses is all about David's situation. David was honest with God about his situation. The Israelites in exile were honest with God about their frustrations. And I believe that the mature Christian response of gratitude in difficult circumstances starts with an honest reflection. God does not ask us to be happy no matter what's going on. God asks us to be grateful despite the circumstances. And and we're going to see why in a little bit. But I want to look first at a few immature views of gratitude. What are some immature views of gratitude? If what we're aiming for is mature gratitude, what are some immature views? If mature gratitude starts with an honest look, what does an immature gratitude, immature view of gratitude look like? Well, I think it is immature to believe that I must be happy and have a smile on my face no matter what's going on in my life. This is not gratitude, and this is not what God asks of us. David, here in the first part of the psalm, he honestly looks inward, and he looks around, and and here's what he's saying, right? He says, God, I know I've messed up, but I don't believe that I deserve what's happening to me. The Israelites in exile, they took honest stock of their situation. They looked around and they looked inward and they said, God, we know we've messed up, but how long are you going to let these godless nations rule over us? Gratitude starts with an honest look at our situation. And I think that the mature Christian will look inward and will look around. So let's look inward, right? I know that I'm not perfect, I know that I've failed. I know that I haven't been the husband or the father or the wife that I'm supposed to be. And let's look outward, right? Life is hard right now. Money is tight. I've got relational problems. My job is in question. We look inward and we look around and we realize that life isn't what I want it to be. And an honest look at reality is the seedbed where real gratitude can start to grow. Immature gratitude that says, you know, be happy and put a smile on your face no matter what, uh, is like a plastic plant. It's like a plastic plant. It looks good, but there's no substance to it. It's never going to grow. It's never going to become more than what it already is. It is not real. And when I see that reality isn't matching up to what God desires both inside me and around me, only then can I start, be, start to be grateful for who God is and what he is doing in my life. But an honest look at our situation, I think, has a dangerous side as well, especially in our culture today. An honest look at our situation can have this effect, can have uh, the result of, of a victim mentality, right? 
We have to do something. When we look at our life and we realize it isn't what we want it to be, we have to do something with those emotions that, that come up, with that kind of dissonance that, that arrives. And this can be hard. We, we've got to take these things somewhere. And I believe that the world tells us to do a few different things with them. The world says, hey, if your situation is rough, here's some things that you can do. First thing that the world is going to tell us to do is that you can ignore the situation, right? Just ostrich it. Stick your head in the sand. Ignore the situation. Ignore your emotions. Keep calm and carry on. Maybe this could be like the motivational poster response, right? Just hang in there. Keep smiling through it. If you ignore how you feel and if you ignore the situation long enough, it'll just go away, right? You let me know how that goes for you. So we can ignore the situation. The world tells us to ignore the situation. I think a second thing the world tells us, um, especially I think it speaks this to men, culture tells men to internalize it, to internalize our emotional response. The world says, you know what, hey, that's fine that you're feeling that way. Just don't let anybody know. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Just keep stuffing your stress and your insecurities. Keep stuffing your pain and your disappointment and be stoic about it, men. It's the man who can control himself no matter the circumstances that is true master, right? This is what the world is telling us. And this is great until you come to something that you actually cannot control. This is great until you come to something that is bigger than yourself or you come to something that is the last straw because you've been stuffing and, and, and cramming insecurities and emotions inside for so long. There comes some things that you just can't breathe through. So where are you going to take these pent-up frustrations then? What are you going to do with these internalized emotions then? So we can ignore it. We can internalize it. And I think probably the most prevalent one that culture tells us is to wallow in self-pity, right? Just to Eeyore it. Just to Eeyore it, right? You deserve a better situation. You're just a victim of circumstances. You need to vomit your emotions onto other people and you need to do it online. And there's something, I think there's something biblical about bearing one another's burdens, right? But if your frustrations and emotions don't ultimately take you to the Lord, it's taking you to mortal people who are going to let you down. It's taking you to mortal people who are going to disappoint you. And so instead of ignoring it, instead of internalizing it, instead of wallowing in self-pity, Scripture asks us to do something Different. What does it ask of us? Here in verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. So David has made his requests to God. And the Israelites in exile, they've clung on to this psalm and they've applied it to their own situation. And instead of ignoring their problems, instead of internalizing their problems, instead of wallowing in self-pity, which we did see some of that in the Israelites and in David's life. Their ideal response here in verse 30 is praise and thanksgiving. It's praise and thanksgiving. And we're going to see how this is possible in just a little bit. But what we see here first is that real gratitude responds in praise and it makes God big. That real gratitude responds in praise and it makes 
God big. Let's, let's look here specifically at what thanksgiving, at what real gratitude can do in our lives. The, the verse here says that I will magnify God with thanksgiving. This verse is saying I can make God bigger by having an attitude of thanksgiving in my life, even in hard situations. What does this mean? What's, what's this verse talking about here? I think of it in, in two ways. I think of it in two um, kind of things that we're familiar with that magnify things. There's, there's the microscope way of thinking about it, and there's the telescope way of thinking about it. Two things that magnify, but do it in very different ways with very different things. And what magnifying God with thanksgiving does not mean is that we are making a small thing big. That is not what this verse is saying. We are not making a small thing big. God is not small. God does not need you. God is perfect and magnified and majestic without our thanksgiving, right? He's bigger than all things, whether we know it or not. And over and over again, Scripture impresses on us the bigness of God, Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Or Psalm 83, that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are most high over all the earth. Or Ephesians 1, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? This verse is not saying here in Psalm 69 that we are in some way adding to God's glory or adding to his majesty through our thanksgiving, right? My praise, does, my praise does not make God any more praiseworthy. Magnifying God with thanksgiving does mean that we are seeing a big thing better. God is big and he is worthy of praise. And our thanksgiving helps our own hearts and minds see God as he is. And so our thanksgiving, our gratitude, works like a telescope in our life. Right? God does not need us. And do you know what else doesn't need you? Is the sun. You ever thought about the sun? The sun does not need you to do its job. Right? It was there long before you were born doing its thing. And it's going to be there long after you're gone doing its thing. But what if you wanted to study the sun a little bit more? Maybe you uh, are asking for a telescope for Christmas, and uh, you want to get into astral photography. I don't know. Is that a thing? Is that the word? Maybe you want to get into studying the sun. How would you go about doing that? What is a way that you would do that? Um, I remember when I was uh, in college, I was helping out with an elementary camp, upper elementary where are, are there any fourth graders in here? We got a family service today. Fourth graders. All right. I was in a cabin with fourth and fifth grade boys who are a breed all their own and fantastic. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was a great week. Um, but throughout the week, kind of towards the middle of it, I would notice we would be outside and this group would kind of be in a clump off. And I would just hear them counting, which is strange. And then I would hear them laughing, which was also strange. And I was like, ah, oh, whatever, just having fun. Well, as the week went on, I kept seeing them in this group, and they would count, and then they would laugh. And I went over, eventually, I walked over to try to see what was happening. And there was a boy counting. He was at 11. And uh, there was another boy, and he was staring up at the sun, wide-eyed, and they were trying to see who could stare at the sun the longest. <laughs> so they were, 
Throughout the whole week, they were counting, and the record was 14 seconds. And uh, I'm pretty sure all of them need glasses now. But <laughs> that is not the way to look at the sun, right? That is not the way to study the sun. The way you do it is with a telescope, but you can't just look at a sun with a telescope, right? You have to do it with a telescope, and you have to do it with a filter. Without a telescope and without a filter, uh, you can get pictures of the sun, right? You could go out with your phone. Well, not right now. It's cloudy. But you could go out with your phone on a nice day, get a picture of the sun, and it might look something, you know, a little bit like this. You look at it, and it's hanging up there in the sky, and, and we kind of know what it is, but it's still so far away, and it's still really, really blurry, and we really just know the sun by kind of experience and what it gives us at that point. But if you really got into studying the sun and you got yourself a telescope and you got yourself a filter, you spent some more time and you did it right, you can get pictures of the sun like this, right? And you look at a picture of the sun like this and it brings it into new perspective for you. And you realize when you get a picture like this, the movement on the surface, you look at these clouds of hydrogen that are like bigger than the whole earth that are just like spewing out from the sun, you realize that the sun is so much bigger than what we can see with our naked eye. You realize that it is hanging out there in nothing millions of miles away, and it gives you a deeper appreciation for what it is and what it's doing. And this is true for us spiritually as well. This is true of how we get to understand and interact with God. And this is what gratitude and thanksgiving does for us spiritually. This verse says that every moment of thanksgiving and gratitude to God is making him a little bit bigger and a little bit clearer in our lives. It's helping us see him as he is. And if you're sitting out here right now and you have been through moments of difficulty in the last couple months, you have felt far from God, if you are struggling to see God in your life, maybe you're going about it the wrong way. Maybe it's like you're trying to look at the sun with your bare eyes. Maybe you're stuck on the first 29 verses of this psalm, and we're focused so much on our situation, we're focused so much on our problems. The psalmist encourages us to pull out our Thanksgiving telescope for the good of our own hearts. Because real gratitude is better than just putting a smile on your face no matter the circumstance. Let's keep going here. Verse 30 and 31. Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Now remember what's going on in this psalm for the Israelites. The Babylonians and the Assyrians, they have taken them away from the promised land. They've taken them away from the land of Israel, away from Jerusalem, away from where the temple was. And this was a problem because the Israelites, before Jesus, they related to God uh, through the priests that functioned at the temple and through the sacrificial system that was in place that also took place at the temple, right? If you sinned, you offered up a sacrifice. The priests performed all of these ceremonies and festivals took place at the temple. So how was an Israelite, uh, an average Israelite in the middle of Babylon, 
supposed to relate with God now? How were they supposed to do this? There were no priests anymore. There was no way to offer sacrifices at the temple when they were so far away and when they were controlled by another empire. Well, they had to offer up sacrifices in a different way. The Israelites were encouraged here to remember that praise and thanksgiving were offerings that could be made to God anywhere and at any time in any situation, right? Even if the temple was destroyed and sacrifices couldn't be offered up, remember that God is aiming at our hearts, not just our hands, right? A sacrifice, no matter how valuable, like an ox or a bull here, a sacrifice like that offered up with really no thought or no consideration is no sacrifice at all. It was just a waste of meat. The Israelites were learning in their exile that gratitude is better than empty praise. That gratitude is better than empty praise. This was one thing that the Israelites were learning in their exile. They were learning that God cares deeply about the attitude of worship more than the means of worship. And this is something that I think trials can do for us. Difficult situations can do this for us. It can clarify an aspect of God's character. It can point out those areas in our life that have become dead and calloused, right? Those areas of our life that are dead expressions of worship. And so gratitude is better than empty praise. And our trials can clarify aspects of God's character. But gratitude has more than just an internal effect. Gratitude also has an outward effect. Let's look at it here in verse 32. It says, When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Now you can imagine Jews living in exile were often uh, with one another, right? They would clump. They would find each other. They would seek each other out and, and they would probably commiserate together. And they could have played the victim, right? And I'm sure this happened. God, why are you letting this happen to us? When are you going to bring us back to the land? Why are you letting these godless people rule over us? But here in verse 32, it says, The humble saw it, and they were glad. And then there is this encouragement for hearts to be revived. And so I think the question here is, okay, when the humble saw what? What are the humble looking at here? And I think that it it could be two things. First, it could be the faithfulness of God. When the humble saw the faithfulness of God to show up in difficult circumstances, they would be glad. That could be one thing, the faithfulness of God in difficult circumstances. The second, it could be when you see somebody else expressing gratitude and thanksgiving, right? You will be glad, you will be revived when you see somebody else expressing gratitude and thanksgiving. And so when Israelites, when a group of Israelites in exile, when they remembered God's faithfulness in the past, and they looked around and they saw other people giving praise and thanksgiving in difficult circumstances, it has this evangelistic, it has this encouraging effect. And this is the, the next thing that we learn from this passage is that gratitude is evangelistic, right? Gratitude is encouraging. Gratitude has this outward effect to other people. In World War I, soldiers um, who were dug in and stuck in, in, in trenches, they would sing to each other 
uh, to keep morale up. They would sing to each other to encourage one another. And as I looked into this, I found one song that they sang. It was called uh, Keep the Home Fires Burning. And I would uh, like to share just part of it. I'm not going to sing it. (laughs) Kimmy could come up and do it, but I'll just read it for us. This was one of the songs that they sang called Keep the Home Fires Burning. They were summoned from the hillsides. They were called in from the glen. And the country found them ready at the stirring call for men. Let no tears add to their hardships as the soldiers pass along. And, on, and although your heart is breaking, make it sing this cheery song. Keep the home fires burning while your hearts are yearning. Though your lads are far away, they dream of home. There's a silver lining through the dark cloud shining. Turn the dark cloud inside out till the boys come home. And they would sing this song, they would sing songs like this in the trenches, during the war, in the long, cold days, as they're staring down the barrel of an enemy gun. They would sing this for each other, and it would create a sense of camaraderie. It would create a sense of of encouragement. It says, make your heart remember that home is warm and comfortable and waiting, which is hope, right? This is a good thing for those men to sing. But the problem that I see in this song for those men in the trenches is that you could make your heart sing all you want, but at the end of the day, those guys weren't sure they were coming home. Mature Christian gratitude, on the other hand, mature Christian gratitude in the midst of difficult circumstances can say, come what may, Because I have a God who beats sin and death, right? There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And we can make our hearts sing by looking to a God who revives the depressed and raises dead hearts to life. And just like those men in the trenches a hundred years ago, we have an opportunity to be an encouragement for others through our praise and thanksgiving. It does the body of Christ No good if we all throw smiles on our face for Sunday morning and then struggle through the rest of the week. We are supposed to bear one another's burdens, right? And one way that we do this, according to this psalm, is to respond in praise and thanksgiving even when life is hard because we know that God is faithful and that God is sovereign. And if there is no one in this church who knows that you are struggling because you think that you have to put a smile on your face for Sunday mornings, Not only are you missing out on real community, not only are you missing out on grace from the Lord, you are also depriving someone else of being encouraged by your response to a situation. Gratitude is evangelistic, and this should be a church that is grateful even in the hard times so that we can be an encouragement to one another. Let's keep going here, verse 33. It says, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. For the Lord hears the needy. We've been talking about gratitude. We've been talking about thanksgiving in difficult circumstances. And, and all of this is possible. Encouraging others in the midst of hardship. All of this is possible because of God's character. This is what we see here in verse 33. It is not possible because I have it figured out. 
It is not because I'm stronger than other people. It's not because I meditate in the morning. It's because God is faithful and God is compassionate. Here in verse 33. Gratitude, at the end of the day, is founded on God's character. It says, The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. And this is where I think culture, this is where I think culture offers us very, very little. I think culture offers us nothing here. That, that gratitude is found in, culture says, in so many different places. And one of the places that gratitude is found, culture says, is in unbounded freedom to do whatever I want. When I am the master of my own ship, when I can do what I want, when I want, then I will be thankful. Then I will be gracious and Unbounded freedom to do whatever I want just ends in debauchery. Gratitude is not founded in my ability to be fully in control of a situation. That just results in making myself a false god. That just results in being paralyzed by inability when I come to something that I can't deal with. Gratitude is not even founded on other people being able to pick me up when I've fallen. That just results in codependency and looking at other people and people-pleasing. Real gratitude is grounded in God's faithfulness and his compassion to his people. You just look at how the Israelites in exile remembered God's faithfulness in this psalm. Remember the first part of this psalm was written by David, and then this last section, eight verses, was written by Israelites in exile. And so those Israelites, living in exile, prisoners in a different land could have dropped their faith in Yahweh, could have dropped their faith in God, right? God, you have clearly forgotten about us. You do not care about us. What are you doing? That could have been a response and was a response from some of the Israelites. But there were a group of of Israelites who looked at this Psalm of David, clung on to it, and continued to sing it while they were in exile, like continued to grasp onto the truths that were in this Psalm while they were in exile, remembering God's faithfulness to their people in the past and trusting that God will do it again. And God has been faithful in your life. Amen? God has been faithful in your life, and I know that God has been faithful in the life of this church. He has showed compassion to you, not least in the person of Jesus Christ who took your sin and shame to the cross left it buried in the grave, and is offering you new resurrection life here and now. Gratitude is not founded on my ability to white-knuckle. Gratitude is not founded on my ability to be in control of a situation. Gratitude is not founded in my ability to find other people who will pick me up when I fall. Gratitude is founded on God's character, which is firm, and it is stable, and it is steadfast. And Scripture is calling us to Look honestly at our situation, but then magnify God with our thanksgiving. Scripture asks us to look at God because it wants us to remember his faithfulness and his compassion for his own people. And so as we close here, how can we respond in gratitude when life is hard? What do we do? How do we respond in gratitude when life is hard or when life is good? And I think the first way that we do this is to take an honest look at our situation, and tell God about it. Take an honest look at your situation and tell God 
about it. If you're in a good place right now, thank him for his grace. Ask God to help you not forget that it is him who brings the blessings and that he would keep you humble in the midst of good times. And if you're in a hard place right now, tell God your frustrations. Tell God your disappointments. Tell God your depression. Ask him to change your heart in the middle of it and ask him to deliver you from it. The second way that we can respond in gratitude is to get out your telescope of thanksgiving. Remind yourself that God is good, that God is in control. Remember that thanksgiving magnifies God in our life and we desperately need a bigger God in our life, not a smaller one. And so we are encouraged to develop practices of gratitude in our life. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe practices, moments of gratitude in your life are small moments in in your prayer life, thanking God for who he is and what he has continued to do in your life. Maybe as a dad, it it is moments of of praise and thanksgiving around a dining room table each night. Maybe for you, it's, it's gratitude journaling that is specific and that is consistent. Whatever it is, practicing gratitude is like insulating a house. No matter what storm is, is raging and, and blowing on the outside, gratitude keeps the inside warm and comfortable and focused on what is good. And last... How can I respond in gratitude when life is hard? Don't forget to share your hurts and practice gratitude with other people. Don't forget to share your hurts and practice gratitude with other people. Keeping your hurts and your gratitude inside uh, is like eating the cheese ball all by yourself, right? At the end of the day, you're just hurting yourself and you are (laughs) depriving other people of something that is good and right. Share your hurts and practice gratitude with others. Don't keep quiet the way God is working in your life. And remember that we can be a people who are grateful not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done through the person of Jesus Christ. And if you are in a hard place right now, I want you to remember that the worst thing that could have ever happened to you happened to the person of Jesus Christ on that cross in Calvary 2,000 years ago. And what God calls us to do is to repent and confess and trust that through Christ, I can have an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving that makes God as big as he should be in my life. So let's, as a church, continue to practice gratitude. Amen.